Hello, and my name is Peter Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners and professionals just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we're here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, frank and raw conversations. Welcome, I'm joined today by Andy Page, who is an ex-colleague of mine from my days at Volvo, absolutely fantastic finance specialist, and a really, really great conversation we had around the future of transport, alternative fuels, and what the financing of those is going to look like. It's a great episode, I really hope you enjoy it, and if you do, please do share it so we can reach as many people as possible. Thank you. I am joined today by Andy Page, and... Um, Andy, I'm really, really pleased that you have come to join me on a Half Dozen Things podcast today. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Andy is a financial specialist, finance guru. In fact, uh, our relationship dates back to when I was the top performing salesperson for Volvo Trucks. And uh, yeah, I just thought I'd get that dig in, actually, because I did get a little bit of stick for a previous podcast I did from some of my previous Volvo colleagues uh, about uh, about sales and from the sales team as well. So, yeah, just wanted to get that dig in. that I was uh, I was definitely the top sales guy in the area and uh, and no one. Could <laughs> I, sold, I sold loads of great financial products as well. So, um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. But yeah, off the back of a previous podcast with Darren Newman, who was an old Volvo colleague. Uh, who's now set up a low carbon truck consultancy. We were talking about future technologies. We were talking about what alternative fuels will be about and and what's that going to look like. And that triggered a great conversation between Andy and I around what the finance is going to look like on those and just how that landscape is going to change. So, um, yeah. Andy, if you're able to just, I've waffled on a little bit. I'll let you introduce yourself. And then, and then and then, I'm sure there's a question that I can find somewhere. But yeah, you introduce yourself and let people know uh, who you are, mate. Stop me anytime. Pete, it's great to speak to you again. It's great to speak to Rush. And you're dead right, mate. For, for about one minute, you were brilliant. As a salesman, <laughs> you were brilliant, mate. You're brilliant. But uh, no, it was, it was great to, to hear you and, and, uh, and Darren uh, last week. Darren's a good friend. Obviously, we worked together in, uh, in Volvo. And um, to be fair, mate, you know, D- Darren is somebody that I would turn to, uh, and I have turned to, to talk about sort of alternative fuels and, and that kind of thing. He he probably is one of the, you know, the most knowledgeable people I'd, I'd say in the country, sort of outside sort of academia, if you like. So, um, you know, a, a really good guy to uh, to get on and, and to uh, to speak to. Um, but you wanted to talk to me about finance, mate, didn't you? I did. And I, did. And I remember those days, mate, when I used to come and do those presentations. I used to say, right, guys, I've got about 15 spreadsheets to put up. And your little face would light up. and you'd... <laughs> So, no, no, don't worry, mate. Don't worry. No spreadsheets today, mate. No spreadsheets today. <laughs> but did you get a bottle of wine? I can't remember. Just remind me. Oh, I I, I did once upon a time, mate. Yes, yeah, you, did. Yes, time. you did. I was, in, I was in the circle of trust that would get a, get a wine. Yeah. I've been along for a little while, though, Andy. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm out of the circle of trust. Just remember what I said, mate. Don't spill it on your woodwork, all right? That's all I'm going to say, mate. Don't spill it on your woodwork. <laughs> well, I have actually drawn a good conclusion, mate. Between anybody who's had my wine, uh, I've not found anybody yet who's caught COVID. So 
There we go. It's got to be something in there, mate, isn't it? There we go. Did AstraZeneca come knocking for their vaccine? <laughs> they have, mate. I'm holding out. I've got a big deal going with the European Union, mate. Big deal. Love that. Big deal. Anyway, buddy, let, let me tell you about finance because there's some there's some things happening. Uh, there's some quite big changes going on. Um, you know, COVID-19 was obviously a, a global tragedy, but at the same stroke, it was a global innovator. And um, it's kind of sparked big movements in society and the way we think about things. And that includes finance. But to kind of help you kind of understand where we got to, um, if you don't mind me, I'll give you a tiny bit of a history lesson. That's all right. Mate, I'm, I'm, I'm a curious right. guy who likes to learn. I'm not That's for that. Now, you, you'll know, mate, in, in this country, we, we've had uh, hundreds and hundreds of years of stability. Yeah. I mean, we've had no invasion since 1066. Uh, you know, generations of the same families have owned stuff and, and things have been very static. You know, in Europe, it's been different because they've had, you know, invasions, wars, revolutions, all that kind of stuff. So they've had years of sort of assets changing hands and people, you know, getting used to not owning stuff. But we're, we've been very traditional in this country about owning stuff. And, and, you know, higher purchase has been a very traditional way of financing for us. Mm. And if you look... Um, Take a couple of steps back, Second World War, quite quite a, a key event for finance, actually, because um, when all our forces came back after the war, uh, the government's, government of this country um, undertook a massive house building programme and basically provided council housing. So that's one of the first times that you see sort of, you know, the population being housed in decent housing, uh, decent housing, it's, it's uh, rented. Um, and then if you kind of skip forward to the 1980s, mate, now I, I think that's around about the time you were born, mate, but I, I was rocking the dance floor in the Empire Ballroom, Leicester Square, mate. I was I was throwing some shapes down there and I started my finance career down there, mate. And this was the height of Thatcherism. And there's two key things that Thatcherism brought to finance, mate. First of which, they gave the right to buy. So you remember I just said about all these people that we've given council houses, yep. uh, they were given the right to buy their homes at a very attractive rate. The second thing that the government did is they deregulated the banks. Now, that meant the banks uh, prior to, to that point in time could only really lend um, up to the value of what they'd got in their safes and vaults. But, you know, uh, deregulation allowed them to lend way beyond that. So, you know, banks went out and borrowed money from other banks and from overseas, from America. Uh, and basically went about providing mortgages for these people to buy these houses. So there's a massive boom in mortgages in the 80s. And then so in the 90s... All, the, all those poor people getting born around that time that would then, in the future, struggle to get on the housing market. Because... I know, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, well, come on to that, mate. But <laughs> okay. you, you click on to the 90s, mate, when you started school. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's it. I was rocking the Happy Mondays and the Hacienda Club, mate. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. So, yeah, happy <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> With my glow sticks. Um, but no, I mean, that, that was kind of like the next phase in financing when you had a massive boom in sort of um, uh, credit cards and store cards and overdrafts. And and it, it just became sort of, you know, the norm that people would have an overdraft. And it didn't matter what you bought as long as you bought it on debt. And debt just absolutely boomed. And, and it carried on booming until 2008. Yeah. So you might kind of click into your headmates to do with finance and... That is, of course, the year of the big crash. And what had happened is debt had built up to such a, an extent that it just all collapsed, you know, in, in like a house of cards. It all collapsed on, on, on top of its own weight. And um, in this country, we had um, a big 
car assembly and manufacturing sector. Yes. And one of the things the government did in 2008 is they stepped in to, to help that sector keep its jobs, keep employment, by providing the scrappage scheme. Yeah. Yeah. And the scrappage scheme yeah. turned two, out... Two, two grand for a banger, wasn't it? Absolutely right, mate. So if you pushed your Skoda Berlin Special Edition into local dealership, you know the old Skoda Berlin Special Edition, mate? It had a heated rear windscreen. Do you know why? Keeps your hands warm while you're pushing it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> they come with heated anyway, steering so, wheels now, but yeah. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. So you'd push your old Skoda in, bang right as okay. you said, mate. And you, you'd, you know, you'd see a nice, I know, three series BMW or something there for 20 grand. Like you said, the government would give you two and a half grand. And, you know, the balance to finance would probably put you, give you a payment of about 500 quid a month, right? Now, what the manufacturers did cleverly is they talked to their captive finance companies and they said, look, these cars, it's a great opportunity for us to sell cars, right? But these, it's looking a bit expensive. What can we do? And the finance company said, well, there's this old product that's been kicking around for ages called lease purchase, where basically what you do is you can scoop off some of the monthly payments you'd, you'd normally pay and, and put it to a lump sum at the back end. And therefore, you kind of, you know, you have one lump sum at the front end, which is deposit, lump sum at the back end, which obviously you have to pay, but it brings down the payments in the meantime. So it bring down the price of your, your three series BMW down to about I don't know, 350 quid or something, which is quite affordable for a lot of people. So car financing boomed, yeah? And this was the birth of, of what we now know as PCP, personal contract purchase, yeah? Now, what the manufacturers did quite cleverly is that they pushed up the value of the balloons. Yeah. When customers start to say, oh, hang on a second, because that's a lot of money I've got to pay at the back end, is my car really going to be worth that much? Right? They said, oh, don't worry, because we'll give you a guaranteed future value. All right. So the consumer said, fantastic. I love this PCP. Right, my payments are about 300 quid. Got me a new three series. I'm off. Skim forward 36 months. And of course, their three series has got this balloon, which is stands at about seven grand. Now, your consumer would say, well, all right, I could sell my car off the auto trader, you know, get, get my money, cover me balloon. So he'd look in the auto trader. And sure enough, the car was worth seven grand. So the consumer would think, well, hang on a second. This is a bit risky. If I don't get seven grand from a car and can't pay my balloon, I'm in trouble. I'll go and see the dealer about that guaranteed future value thing. And of course, bingo. So the dealer's then got the customer on a hook, isn't he? Comes in, makes it nice and easy. And therein we see what's happened with car financing ever since, mate. It's gone in like a three-year cycle. Three-year cycle, aren't they? Absolutely right, mate. Yeah, yeah. And you look at um, last, last year, mate, 2020, right? Uh, car finance equated for £39 billion pound of lending. Wow. Right? Now, huge. 75% of that was PCP. Really? That's huge. 75%. So, uh, that, that's, that's a higher fig- Go on, mate. Yeah, just, just a personal story on PCP. We've got a seven-seat Peugeot 5008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What have you took it on PCP? Actually, when I left Volvo, because I didn't want the worry of... Uh, Potentially yeah. un- unreliable vehicle. I didn't know what my financial situation would be, so I thought it'd be far better to just sort of spread. Uh, but we're at a point now where we need to remortgage, and I've got this balloon payment that's sat there on my credit file. Mm. So I've been speaking to them. It's, I'm at two and a half years, and I know what's going to ha- I-, I want to give it back, 
and I'm just going to lease a vehicle because then I've not got anything and I can just leave the business is at a place where I can lease it through the business. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the challenge, the challenge is, is that I've now got a pesky sales guy who's going to be like, well, I can offer you this. And I'm like, I don't want this. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, by the way, back to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, you, you're bang right, mate. I mean, the manufacturers have been very clever in, in, in a way. And this has kind of brought us up to date now in, in the, you know, certainly in the car market. Predominantly, the way of financing is is uh, is PCP. Like I said, seventy five percent of car financing last year was PCP, so it's huge and, and thirty nine billion quid. And that that's that's greater, believe it or not, than the value of truck financing. Truck financing last year equated to about twenty seven billion quid. So it just goes to show you how big the car market is in this country. Massive, massive. it is absolutely massive. Twenty seven billion some market for the transport for the, for the truck sector though, isn't it? That's, that's it something. is. It is. I mean, the funny thing about the truck sector, mate, just to talk about that for a minute, is you can kind of split the finance side of, of trucks into two. In that, um, what's happened over the last kind of ten years is that there's been a big growth in contract hire, um, what I call the traction sector, right? And you know, as as, as your, your tractor unit boys, you know, hauling containers out of Felixstowe or whatever. High mileage, um, not really bothered too much about the spec of the unit. They might be multi-shifting. So, you know, you've got different drivers jumping in and out. So they're not too bothered about, they don't really want to own the thing. They just want to thrash it to death and use it. And after three years, they want to hand it back and get another one. You know, so contract hire has, has worked really well in that sector. Um, elsewhere, if you're the kind of like um, your own account operator or your, your haulier that, um, your smaller haulier that kind of uh, does a bit more general work, they're predominantly still sticking to, to higher purchase. Um, the only thing with that, and you quite rightly made a point um, earlier, Pete, that the value of trucks obviously is only going one way, mm. and that is up, you know, and, and it's going up rapidly. To be fair, there's a lot of obviously emissions regulations, which obviously manufacturers have to comply with. So um, the kit's getting cleaner and cleaner. Uh, it's getting safer and safer. All the camera systems and all the, the automatic braking, you know, all that kind of stuff that's going on there. So there's a lot going on to the truck, but the cap costs are going up to boot. Yeah. And the customers aren't really, in many ways, earning that much more. No. So Contract hire is really starting to make an appearance in that sector as well. And, and, and I think, is it, again, is only going to grow as the assets become more expensive. Um, really, the only way that the smaller operators are going to be able to afford this kit is, is to lease it in some form, I yeah, think, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reduced, reduced sort of monthly, reduced yeah, fixed yeah. monthly expense, I suppose, and then sweat the asset, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, just, just the, the other thing as well, this way of kind of like generally what's happening I mentioned about changes in society earlier, uh, driven partly by COVID. And you probably do it yourself, mate. I certainly did. Is that, you know, when we all were sent home to work, I thought, bloody hell, I've got to find something to do. So we better get some of that Netflix, haven't we? So you get a subscription for your TV, don't you? And then the next thing is you've got Prime as well. And then you've got, you know, Google Music and all the rest of it. And there's been a huge uptake in kind of subscription services. And particularly, I'll say the younger generation now, mate. Obviously, you're the younger generation, so, you know, you'll, you'll understand this, I know. But they've kind of grown up almost, kind of just accepting or seeing subscription or subscribing to stuff as being 
normal. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So a good example is I look up, I've got a bookshelf up there. I've got some books there and I've got some books at the office. But actually yeah. on my phone, I've got 20 books through Audible. Yeah. But the That's issue is I don't actually know what happens to that asset if I cancel my subscription to Audible. Do I lose yeah. it or not? I don't know. Maybe I do own it. But every month that payment goes out and I get a book in return. Yeah, That's- yeah. Well, again, I don't know about you, mate. One of the things I did at the start of COVID was have a big clear out because I'm at home and you sort of suddenly realise you've got all this stuff around you, haven't you? 100%. So the first thing I did, I got a big cupboard full of DVDs. I thought, well, I just don't need them anymore because you've you got Amazon, you've got, you know, Netflix. Oh, my parents yeah. keep trying to offload DVDs on us. <laughs> I, keep to, I haven't even got a DVD player. <laughs> I haven't even got one. Don't well, know. Nor have I. Nor have I. That's gone. I've checked, oh, I've checked hours. What about these CDs? Don't have a CD player, Dad. Don't have one. Gone. That's yeah. it, gone. Funny thing is, mate, I've got a couple full of vinyl. Yeah. <laughs> I own, I own no music. Yeah, no, nah, I own no music though. Every, all of yeah. my music's on Amazon Music. I don't yeah. own any music. But but to be fair, Pete, why would you? For like $9.99 a month, you can download and listen to what you want. Yeah. Aren't you? So um there's been a you know a huge shift. And, and at the same time, and just going back to housing, and again, you, you quite rightly mentioned earlier, mate, didn't you? That um a lot of again the younger generation have got into renting, renting property, and because of the way that rents have gone up and, and again way outstrips pay, way outstrip wages, you know uh, that generation isn't saving enough for a deposit. So they, they, they've termed them generation rent because they believe that they will basically almost forever be renting a house. They're kind of trapped in that kind of cycle. So you've got a kind of generation of people coming up who are renting, subscribing. Um, you know, to, to them, ownership is kind of like a bit of an alien thing. It doesn't really kind of figure to them. So then when you come on to mobility, again, what, why would you HP something? Mm. You know, um, there's quite a big thing sort of growing at about in, in, in multimodal um, transport. Yep. So... You, know, you might have a, a say, say an own account transport uh, company or a manufacturer that kind of starts off wanting a van, mm-hmm. right? So they might, you know, have a van for three months, six months, then think, well, actually, you know, business is growing, we need something a bit bigger. Yeah. So traditionally, if they'd entered into a three-year finance, you know, HP or something, they'd be stuck in it, wouldn't they? Yeah. But you've got these subscription services now, like Wagon X. You've heard of Wagon X. Yeah. Wagon X basically, you can enter into, you know, renting a van and you just renew it every three months. If after three months you think, do you know what, I do need a seven and a half tonner, right? You swap it straight in, Wagon X can, can provide you with a, a three and a half tonner. Yeah, awesome. You might have it for six months and then go back to a van. Yeah. Or you might go up to a bigger rigid or, or whatever. And there's these companies out there now. And the same's happening for personal mobility with cars. So not wanting to tout Volvo, but you know, Volvo have got this care by Volvo, which is exactly the same thing. So Again, you can. I've seen a few of these advertised on Facebook. So they're kind of like this subscription model. They they yes. look on the face of it quite expensive on a monthly basis at the moment, but I'm sure yes. that will become more competitive. But yeah, Land Rover yeah. do one, so you can just you can have like three months in a Land Rover or a couple of weeks in a nice Volvo or something like that to impress yeah. your mates, I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm without a car at the moment, so I might give it a try. But yeah, anyway, with, with Volvo, you get 30 days effectively. Um, it's like a like a demo. Yeah, yeah so a demo, and then basically after th- up to 30 days, you can hand it back, no penalty. Obviously, it's return conditions. You can't smash it up, can you? But uh, huh. you know, but you you can effectively hand it back, or 
Um, once you get beyond your 30 days, they just automatically renew every three months. So again, you can sort of try it for three months and think, do you know what? Actually, I fancy an XC60 or something, you know, and you can swap it for a 60 or you can swap it down for a, you know, whatever else. Yep. So um, there's there's all this stuff just starting to kind of bubble now, mate. And, and um, I can see this generation underneath now, that will be their natural kind of way of just financing stuff and funding stuff. Yeah. So it, it, this is so timely because exactly the same situation. I bought, I had a new member of staff start and I bought him a cheap van, you know, just like oh, yeah. a cheap yeah. 2008 plate van, which yeah. I've, I've, I've bought and I've just bought for him. But it's had some issues and it's been a bit of a pain. So I've given him my least, I had a least Kia Picanto that I ran around in one of these little ones. I'm not precious about what I drive. Um, and I've, I've given him that. And I was in a position where I can't really rely on this van anymore. And through one of my clients who have got access to some good lease vehicle deals, I've leased for six months a one series BMW for six months. So yeah. it's going to come brand new. I can do 10,000 miles in it. I'm paying a, a weekly amount on a monthly basis, whatever it is. And mm. actually, it's fairly cheap. No capital down, no nothing. Give it back after six months as long as I look after it. BM1 series. Yep. Well, I was, I was reading about. Um... Uh, a platform the other, the other day called Rover, and um, it's kind of exactly the same. It, it's the mobility version of Uber, Uber Eats. So you can go onto your, your Uber platform, can't you? Your, your website, and you can, you know, order yourself McDonald's or you know whatever you want. Whatever. Now with Rover, you can go on there and do exactly the same thing for kind of any car or like commercial vehicle that you want. And basically, Rover act as an intermediary, so they'll go to the manufacturer and say, "Right, well, I got a car. I got a guy here who wants to." you know, rent a, a car like you said for six months. Um, can we give him an option from you? Can we give him an option from you? Or, you know, what can you do? And um, I, I can see this being quite a big piece. And mm. it gives people flexibility, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you, you're right. You never know what's coming either, I think. I think people are much yeah. more... Um, I think life is becoming a, a little bit more transient. I think people move around a bit more. Um, I think that, you know, gig economy, people are less committed to uh, workplaces, environment, or, or that certainly there's a trend in that direction. And I think I think people want the lifestyle to be able to suit suit that flexibility. Absolutely, mate. And, and you think you think it's, it's quite good that you mentioned about sort of mobile, personal mobility in the job market, because you're bang right, mate. If you own a house in a particular place, you're you're pretty much stuck there, mate, aren't you? Yeah. You know, if somebody says to you, look, we've got a fantastic job for you, you know, can you start in Hong Kong next week? Well, you've got a house, haven't you? <laughs> what are you going to do with that? If you're renting, you just give notice, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You leave and you go rent another place. You own a place, you've got to sell it, you know, if you're looking up to own a place. Um, and a bit the same with, with uh, mobility. I mean, you know, going back to your point about it being expensive, it is expensive. But I think people see the convenience of it, mate. And I think that kind of outweighs... Uh, a lot of the kind of like the negatives. It frees capital up for other stuff as well, doesn't it? You know, I think I think that's the other thing, isn't it? Because in, investments become much more accessible. So you see people, they may not necessarily have assets, but they might be, have, you know, stocks and shares on the old phone or what have you, which they probably wouldn't have done before because that money would be tied up in a in an asset like a vehicle, which is depreciating. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's another very good point, Pete. That they call it hyperconnectivity, right? That everybody's got one of these. And everybody nowadays, I know about you, mate, but, you know, obviously all my banking's done on here. Yeah. You know, if I book anything, I generally do it on there. Um, 
So, you know, people expect their goods and services now to be accessible at the time they want it, um, you know, and, and get it delivered to them at a time that suits them, like, like I said. So, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a big move towards the, these online platforms uh, where people specify their own cars. And I mean, I, I know, mate, obviously you had great skill in terms of specking trucks, didn't you? Of course, I was the best. I was the best at the time. Goes without saying, Pete. And, and, and anyone who's listening, they can't argue otherwise. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's no reason why. You can build your car online, isn't there? So to a certain extent, why can't you build a truck yeah, online? That is uh, that is an interesting prospect, isn't it? That's a very it interesting prospect. It is. It is. I mean, okay, there's a lot, there's a lot of safety issues, isn't there, with trucks, obviously, to think about. Um, and, and you, you know, you know, I bow to your knowledge in this. How, how you ever put together a truck, mate? I, pff, I just wouldn't know where to start, mate. No, it's, 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 it's a very, it's, it's a yeah. very specific skill set, you know, and it takes yeah. it takes a lot of time to to get it right, Andy. And um, yeah. no, you know, it's uh, it's a special type of um, a special type of person that, that, that it takes to be able to get it right as well. <laughs> That's yeah. it, and you are special, Pete. Let's put it there. Yeah, you absolutely. are special, like the Jose Mourinho of transport. <laughs> but I mean, you know what? What we're saying, mate, is that if if people are used to picking up their phone and and, and you know getting stuff and doing stuff, um, then you know they're going to expect that right across everything that they touch and do, aren't they? Just naturally, that's that's um, quite understandable. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So what what does um, what, what what do you think that finance is going to look like as we as as new technology evolves for for vehicles and or heavy goods vehicles? At the moment, you know, we can get a tractor unit for, I don't know, 120 grand, I suppose, for for a, de- for a decent one. If you wanted to buy a Scania, it might be quite a lot more. Or uh, if you wanted to buy a Iveco, uh, it might be quite a lot less. I don't, I don't, I don't know, really. But, um, yeah, what, what, what are we looking at for sort of the gas vehicles? Are they, are they like 25% more or, or is it even more than that over and above a above a sort of standard diesel hgv and then yeah, the it's going to be that that much more yeah you're probably getting there mate you're getting bang right i mean obviously when anything comes out new obviously it, it it's there's a kind of a an introductory peak price isn't there mm-hmm. and obviously once you get serial production that's what the manufacturers want once you get volume into market and serial production then the price generally does come down but it settles down to the point when of course then you get the next generation of either you know, uh, gas vehicles again, or uh, if it's diesel, then the next emission level, whatever, you know, and the price will go up again. So it just ever goes up, ever goes up. And I mean, it's interesting you mentioned about electrification because electric stuff, um, although it's got a it's pretty niche kind of product at the moment, to be fair, it is, it's more than a step up. It's like another ladder. <laughs> so you know, like you need your triple extension ladder to get up to electric, mate. I tell you, it's uh, okay. it's next again. And I think for I do understand how you know operators and manufacturers want to show green credentials, don't they? Yeah, and they might be thinking about it for their own reasons. They might be thinking, I oh, just I want to do me a bit for the planet. Or they might be saying, all well, my customers are giving me grief because I'm operating diesel trucks, you know. So I want to, there's, there's, there's a big, I can see a big, you know, move to electric, electrification. But because at the moment the price differential is so great, I think really the only answer with it is going to be, you know, at lease or contract hire. Um, 
I mean, contract hire, as you know, mate, it just is lease. It's just got your services, your maintenance built built in with it. Yep. Which, which they're going to want on, you know, because obviously there's going to be so much that goes wrong. And 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 this is, I know we're going to talk about finance, but it raises questions, doesn't it, around the future of the independent workshop? Yeah. What does the independent or or the larger operator have their own workshop? What's the future yep. of that look like? And also, what does the future look like for the smaller family-run businesses who essentially may not have the assets or the capital to to be able to finance or look at the level of finance needed for for these vehicles? They're they're just sort of going going along at the moment from a diesel point of view. It, yeah. You know, does it give competitive advantage to these bigger bigger operators who are running much more volume on a much smaller margin? I I, I don't know really. I think they look just as vulnerable, really. But yeah, sorry, I, no, I digress. Really, it was just sort of those are the questions that raises in my head. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you, you, you're, you're right, mate. I mean, the point really about, about you know lease as opposed to purchase is is that your entry point is is a lot lower, mm. isn't it? You know, with with HP, typically on a commercial vehicle, you have to put all of that up front. So that's twenty percent on on your one hundred and twenty grand tractor unit. You know, twenty-four grand. That's a lot of money, mate, isn't it? Yeah, remember? Yeah, I, I, I remember the chasing round. <laughs> chasing round, beginning of March for the for the new regs, and like literally exactly. we're chasing exactly. that around the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, with, with your lease, generally speaking, you only put one single month instalment down. You know, so your actual entry point is is um, is quite low. Um, so really, for for, for your S, for your small SME, your small operator. It, it is accessible, you know. This stuff will be accessible, um, but I think really probably only on a kind of contract hire and lease front. And, and I think it, it's right you mentioned about you know um, own workshop, Fred in the shed, you know, as we used to call it on the on the Boston coach side when I worked there. You know, this technology is going to way outstrip Fred in the shed, isn't it? You know, so and, and in many respects it has now. You know, you 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 will need to. Um, well, I was going to say you'll need to take your vehicle into the to the manufacturer, you know, dealer point. But actually, with the way things are with telematics, you won't actually need to take it in. <laughs> well, no. no, no, it's and- got the point. And, and if you've seen any of the, the latest marketing from, you know, I'll use Volvo, but I'm sure they're all doing the same thing. Basically, the truck is telling the workshop, isn't it, what it's doing on a live basis, actual live basis. And saying, look, I've got a service coming up. I've got this wearing out, that wearing out. This isn't quite right. Um, so you know, it's big shifts happening there, mate. Too it is it's frightening. It's frightening, isn't yeah. it? Poor old Fred in the shed's not going <laughs> to. He's not going to any of that, is he? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. It's um, it's it's it's, it's a fascinating prospect, and. You know, mm-hmm. one of my friend, one of my friends owns a owns a car garage, and um, yeah. you know, we were talking about electric, and and there's a group of us, and one of them's an electrician, and he he can't he can't fit EV points quick enough in homes at the moment. He's literally like, you know, flat out on EV points, and uh, my car my car guy is literally going, it's ruining my business, like it's ruining my business, and it's yeah. like, that's it, yeah, aren't there, isn't it? Exactly. I've got a mate of mine who's exactly the same, mate. He's got a little garage down the road from me. And he said the nightmare for him actually was last year when the government extended the MOT. Oh, what a farce. That's it just, yeah, he said his business just stopped. Yeah. Just nobody took the car from MOT. He said they didn't need to, did they? Yeah. No. So, so it's been deferred for six months. So, you know, we'll just um, we'll bring in. That's, that's been a total joke, though. Don't bring don't bring your vehicle for MOT. Take the extension. And now, and now the 
oh no, we've got too many vehicle tests later in the year. Bring them forward, bring them forward. <laughs> <laughs> what a game of cat and mouse. Happy absolutely, days. absolutely. But uh, fantastic. Yeah, so, there you go, mate. So, so like I said, there's kind of um, the murmurings of, of, of change going on in financing, mate, and, uh, and usage. And it's going to be an interesting few years coming up, I think. I think that's absolutely fascinating. And um, I, I suppose just to sort of, uh, finish off. I know. I know. We sort of alluded to earlier that we'd we'd sort of been previous colleagues. But what what's the future looking like at the moment for Andy Page? What um, you know, what's the what's the relationship status looking like? <laughs> uh, well, officially, it says it's complicated. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that probably sounded a little bit. That probably sounded a little bit creepy. Actually, I mean, from an employment point of view. <laughs> <laughs> from an employment point of view, mate, she's got a, a, a nice lengthy list of stuff for me to do. Okay. So, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I got a new motorbike coming. So that's uh, I'm making making changes in the garage at the moment. Make sure I've got the space for that. Yeah, so, awesome. Uh, awesome. That's great. I guess. Um, I, I guess just before I sort of finish off, if I haven't, is there a question that I've not thought to ask that I should have asked that is maybe begging? And if no, 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 not no. We've basically covered the stuff that I, I thought we should cover, mate. Fantastic. And, um, Fantastic. So no, it's been good. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all however many years of expertise Andy. just aiming that right back at you <laughs> um, all, all those many years of expertise in the finance sector and particularly in the transport sector for coming along and sharing that knowledge on an independent basis as well which is uh, which is fantastic for for people to listen to and um, i know i know you've got a profile on linkedin and andy's page is andy page um at linkedin uh, on linkedin so do go and hunt him out and i'm sure if uh, you're a transport haulier and you want some independent support or, or anything like that from a financial point of view uh, i'm sure you'd be willing to give a few tips and pointers uh totally always, always welcome obliged always welcome. anyway right so yeah thank you everyone for listening please do share it if you've got value from it and uh yeah we've had a few laughs along the way so fantastic it's been great having you andy thank you very much I really hope you loved today's episode and if you did please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too please do share it across your social media channels we hope to reach more and help more people if you want to find out more about me my name's pete rushmer you'll find me across any social media channel and my business flagship partners and we're your partners in success across your business thank you see you again soon